The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 35, When the Summer Went. October 2002. It had been three months since we killed the monster. Or so they tell me. They tell me that I killed a monster. They tell me that I smashed into it with my car, and I can tell because my car still needs work. Crown pitched in for repairs, citing the fact that I had saved his life. I wish I remembered that. The money did come with a few stipulations, though. After he handed it to me, he told me that he thought I should repaint my car gold because he says it would be super cool to have a car that looks like it's absorbing sunlight. I don't really know what that means, but I guess it made sense to him. And so August rolled into September, and September rolled into October, and the world just kept moving on. There were no more signs of the monsters, and at first I thought that some of the other issues might have disappeared along with them. But I did keep having the dreams, and I kept seeing the shadow figures outside the window, and sometimes in the mirror, and sometimes in my room. Still, there hadn't been any more signs of the monsters. The grass seemed to be growing back in the places where it used to hide, and we hadn't seen any more of that weird goo anywhere. I believed, as firmly as I could, that we had beat the thing. If only Brad had come back, things would have been perfect. But there was still no word about him. Somewhere in the back of my mind, though, I never said it, and I hardly dared to think it. I think I'd accepted that the monster had probably killed him. It was a cold afternoon in mid-October when I finally made my way back up to Professor Reed's house. The sky was so stormy that it was almost purple, and I found myself hoping that it would rain. It had been an unusually dry fall for the coast, and I missed our typical stormy weather. I could see Sam standing at the top of the hill already, and I couldn't help but smile as I approached. This was how it should have been from the beginning. My time here should have been a dream. I was living in a peaceful little art town. I was living in the kind of place where it was normal to find my friend standing quietly on a hill, overlooking the ocean, almost like the ocean belonged to him and he could just command it with a wave of his hand. I've always thought there's just something about people born in the autumn, something about people like Sam and me. As summer collapses behind us, it's like we're running away from everything we know is coming, but we're doing it with smiles on our faces, looking over our shoulders, knowing it's all going to be okay in the end. Autumn is holding on to every dream like it's written in stars and warmed by firelight. It's walking around with a mug, even though no one ever sees you drink out of it. Maybe you just picked it up somewhere along the way and never put it down again. Sam was wearing a black shirt covered in constellations, but not in an astrology kind of way. He had a new haircut, and I remember it specifically because it was different than normal, shorter on the sides. 
Most of all, I remember that he finally looked okay, which was a big upgrade from the last few months. And as I walked up that hill, I could almost imagine myself reaching the top, planting myself there, and staying forever. Almost. It's funny, though. Even as I stood there, smiling at the fact that things were finally how they were always supposed to be, I felt even more strongly that it was time to go. I knew it was time to head back to Seattle and face all the things that I'd left behind, fix all the things that kind of felt broken. I was going to miss the ocean. I was going to miss the way that the seagulls seemed to levitate over the land as they hung on the air current. I would miss Lana and the way that she exemplified how to be exactly what you wanted to be. I would miss Crown. Crown had become that rock-steady kind of guy that you want in your corner. But maybe I didn't need anyone in my corner in the same way anymore. Maybe, with the monster gone, I could really return to normal life. And maybe I wouldn't be totally alone, because Sam was going to be there somewhere. I guess I didn't have to lose everyone and all of it all at once. How's it going, man? I said, reaching the top of the hill and shoving my hands into my jacket pocket. Sam looked up and smiled. There you are, he said. Eh, things are going all right now, as long as you consider your grandfather orchestrating a gore fest all right. Hey, I think that sounds even better than all right, I said. You ready to go? He asked, checking his watch. We were going to go to Seattle today for party supplies. Lana had practically begged us to go, which was pretty out of character for Lana. I think she was feeling better now that the monsters were gone. The fact that they were gone was kind of translating into all these weird little relief-based type behaviors within our little group. Yeah, almost ready, I said. I wanted to find Lana first, though. She's been so secretive about this party, I was hoping she would give us a little more guidance on what she actually wants us to get. Sam shrugged. Eh, she wants three bottles of that Marionberry vodka from that place in Seattle. What's there to ask? No, I need to get a costume while I'm in Seattle, too, and I'm just a little confused on the parameters. I think they just want you to dress like some kind of deity. Yeah, but does it have to be, like, an old-school deity, or can I just be, like, Sandman or something? I don't know that anyone's going to beat you up over any of your choices, he said. You can probably just do whatever you want. Okay, I said, and honestly, I was running out of excuses. So, actually, I'm just really curious about what she's doing down at the greenhouse, and I wanted to go see what's going on. Yeah, she will beat you up if you try to do that, he said. She's keeping that project under wraps, like way under wraps. That sounded like Lana. Underneath all the rough-and-tumble nonsense, she really did have the heart of an artist, and just like most artists, she didn't like people in her business before she was ready. I guess I'll just wait for the night before Halloween when I dress in dark clothes and walk down to the greenhouse with a flashlight and a lockpicking kit to see for myself then, I said. Eh, whatever you say, Nancy Drew. 
Honestly, I was excited to see what she was doing. It was such a strange thing to be excited for a Halloween party. Two months ago, I was stressed out, sleep-deprived, and generally terrified. I didn't have time to think about anything cool or anything normal. I'm not saying that things were totally back to normal. There were still some rough parts about being here for sure. I was definitely excited to move back to Seattle. But it wasn't unbearable anymore. There was room for fun. There was room to breathe. There was even some room to practice skills that I might have neglected up until now. Hey, I said, finally gathering the courage to ask the thing I'd been trying to avoid. So I've been thinking that I should probably really learn how to use my powers for real, right? I said. I'd been practicing for quite a while on my own now, making short trips from place to place experimenting with bringing extra objects with me. One time, I had even picked up a neighborhood cat and teleported her, though I certainly hadn't told or asked permission from the owner on that one. I was finally starting to feel like my old self again. All of the uncertainty and insecurity from the last few months had drained away for the most part, and suddenly I felt like I was standing on the edge of a cliff ready to jump and hoping that my wings were going to work. My abilities had caught me off guard one too many times, and I guess I just wanted to be the one in control of them now. Yeah, you should absolutely try to use your power, he said. So I teleported a cat the other day, I told him. He nodded, not seeming to follow immediately. Do you want to be the first human trial subject? I asked. For a second, he just looked at me, and I thought he might decline. In fact, now that I had said it, there was a part of me that hoped that he did. Just because I'm feeling brave doesn't necessarily mean that I'm feeling smart. In fact, those two things often don't go together when it comes to me. After a moment, though, he said, Let's do it. How? Um, as far as I know, I just have to be touching whatever I want to bring with me, I said. He held out a hand. So, if this works, it'll be a cool party trick. That's what I'm saying. So, I closed my eyes and felt his hand in mine and heard the low rumble of the water in the distance and immediately began to feel that there was no way this was going to work. It was too much. I should have tried with something bigger. Maybe I should have teleported a dog or something. My neighbors had a pretty big dog. I was about to open my eyes again and put an end to this whole ridiculous stunt when suddenly everything changed all at once. One minute I was feeling the soft touch of the ocean wind and the next it was warm air, nearly hot, and wind so strong that I thought it might push me right over. The silence around us was so deep and hollow that I almost felt like it was breathing. My eyes popped open and I looked around, utterly disoriented. This certainly wasn't Burning Rock, but it wasn't Seattle either. It was another ocean, much like Burning Rock in the shape of the shore and the rock formations off the coast, but entirely different too. For one thing, it was night. And for another thing, the sky was absolutely alive and fiery with the brilliant stars from my dreams. 
orange and blue and green and pink auras filtered down through the patches of cloud, creating the effect of colorful lights caught under the snow. In the west, out over the water, the sky was clear and I could see the stars unobstructed. I was still holding on to Sam, probably a lot too tightly, and I turned to look at him to make sure he was still there and make sure he was okay and make sure he was seeing the same thing I was seeing. Up until now, this place had been a dream, but here, with the sand under my feet and the wind against my face, it was entirely real. Sam's eyes were bright, wide, full of the light from the stars, and every bit as lost as I felt. Without looking at me, he asked, What is this? And I didn't know how to answer him because I didn't know myself. Up until now, I had been operating under the assumption that this place was all in my imagination, but being here now made that seem unlikely. I wasn't asleep, as far as I knew, and even if I was asleep, Sam was here too. I didn't think this place was real, was all I managed to say. And then I started to feel the place pulling away from me. It's like those old TVs where you flip the power button and the image suddenly distorts and shrinks and fades away into a tiny dot in the middle of your screen before blinking out entirely. I could feel the edges of the world begin to pull together and I knew before it happened that we were about to be somewhere else. So I held on to Sam tighter and the scene around us changed again. A hard rain began to fall and the noises got a lot louder. Someone slammed on their horn and I whirled around finding myself face to face with an oncoming car. I felt Sam pull me backward and my feet found solid footing on a grassy median patch. I looked down and saw that I was clearly standing in the middle of a street. We were surrounded by cars on all sides, most of which were honking at me and my clumsy movements. I backed up a little more, making sure I was well out of the roadway. Then I looked over at Sam. He was standing there, looking disbelievingly up at the skyline. I followed his line of sight and found the definitive answer as to where exactly we were. I was looking up at the space needle, looming overhead like a giant bent over to peer down at us. I sighed in relief. So I'd done it. I brought us to Seattle even if there was a slight detour along the way. I had no idea how, and I had no idea if I could get us back, and I couldn't really remember if I had left my wallet in my pocket or in the car. I reached down and patted my pocket. It was there. So was my phone. I guess that was good. I looked up at Sam again, a little worried that he was going to be upset. Sure. I teleported us, but it had been a pretty bumpy ride. Instead of being upset, though, Sam looked at me wide-eyed for a moment, and then he started laughing. I always appreciated Sam's ability to laugh at literally anything. There was something revolutionary about it. Something seditious, like he was rebelling against the fabric of reality itself. Dramatic? Maybe. But hanging out with Sam could make you feel dramatic at times. I can't believe it, 
he said. There was no way I thought that was going to work. He let go of my hand only to give me a high five, and I laughed too. I have no idea if I can get us back, I said. Eh, we'll just get a taxi, he replied, which was, of course, a completely ridiculous thing to say. I couldn't even imagine how much the cab ride would cost. Do cabs even run to Burning Rock? Let's see if we can get somewhere better than here, I said. I didn't want to try to teleport again, though. Instead, Sam and I hopped on a bus and headed for my mom's restaurant. So it turned out that Sam and mom had talked about the restaurant business while I was unconscious, and she had at least agreed to give him some tips. I have to admit that at first I was a little apprehensive about it. I wasn't sure I wanted my worlds colliding like that. As time wore on, though, and my mom never threatened to have us committed or anything like that, I came to understand his point of view. We wanted out of Burning Rock, and if we were going to make that happen, we were going to have to be smart about it. We were going to need actual plans, and I think for Sam, my mom represented an actual way forward. So Sam and I took our seats on the bus and watched as the city passed us by. I never got tired of watching other people watch the city, and Sam was no exception. I remember his eyes seemed unusually wide that day, as if he thought he would miss something if he blinked too often. As we drove through the tallest of the buildings, he leaned toward the window and tilted his head back, eyes running up story after story. I wondered if this was to become a regular thing. I thought it might be fun teleporting random places in Seattle and taking the bus home. We could make a game out of it on Saturdays. If I had ever wondered if Sam and I would stay friends after we left Burning Rock, all doubt was gone now. We were already making plans to see new movies as they came out and talking about road tripping back to Burning Rock for the holidays. Rain ran along the bus windows, and I leaned my head back against the seat, smiling a little as the road disappeared behind us. And that's when Sam turned to me, out of the blue, and said, Do you ever feel like something went wrong back a couple months ago, when you killed that monster? I turned to him and answered, admittedly glibly, Not really. In fact, I kind of feel like a lot of things went all right. But Sam continued, clearly not joking. Sometimes I feel like there are parts of that night that are so hazy. I mean, I thought I was going to die. We probably all felt that way at one point or another. So doesn't it seem like things should be clearer in our heads? I mean, you have a medical excuse, but me and Crown... Like, I remember... I remember a light coming from the window, but I don't remember which window or why that mattered. I thought I went into the building, but I can't remember anything about it. I nodded. I didn't really understand much about traumatic experiences, but I assume they can play some weird tricks on your brain, I said. Sam nodded, but I'm not entirely sure he bought it. October 2007. After hugging my sister, our little group started up the beach again. 
Most of the others trailed off as we walked, heading back to their respective homes until it was finally just me, Crown, Lana, June, and Logan. Hey, where did James go anyway? Lana asked. He said he might have to head home early tonight, Crown said. He probably just cut out after he got killed. As we walked back to the apartment, I couldn't help but think that this was probably the happiest I'd felt in about five years. Finally, things were beginning to feel whole again. Finally, every so often, in even the smallest of ways, I was allowing myself to imagine what life might look like if I admitted that Sam was gone and started living my life again. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>